Uh, hey, thanks for leaving your deer stand and coming to church today. <laughs> Thankful. Um, I love fall in Oklahoma. Um, this is a new fall for us. It's kind of different, different season because uh, it's the first fall that Robin and I have had to face with, as an empty nest, with an empty nest. And uh, so it's been a little quiet around our house, but it's, it's still been fun. And I had a fun phone call this week from Maggie, my, my daughter. She's a freshman at OBU, and she says, well, Dad, I joined a church this week. And I was like, awesome. You know, after that conversation, we, I just stopped and thanked the Lord because, um, you know, uh, we're supposed to be a part of a local church. And I was thankful that there's a local church that Maggie is connected with, that she's growing and serving and advancing the gospel. And, you know, uh, when you think about it, the local church is, is a gift, you know, Wayne Grudem is a theologian. If you, um, he, he wrote Systematic Theology. He talks about the church. He defines it this way, that uh, the capital C church are believers everywhere um, that, um, well, where, where I, I lost it here, uh, that, that the community of all true believers for all time. That's what he says about the church, capital C. It's all believers at all, at all times. But, but, but really, when the Bible, that, that's true, that as a, as a Christian, you're part of the big C church. But the truth is, when, when people serve the Lord, they're a part of a local church. And all, you see this all through the New Testament. You see the importance of, of the local church, because it's in the local church where we learn to walk with God. We learn to grow in our faith. We, we minister to one another in the local church. We bear one another's burdens in the local church. And it's in the local church where we also advance the gospel. We, 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 we live out the great commission through the local church. And this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Jude. So the Jude is the, the second to the last book of the Bible. It's right before Revelation. And... and um, and you know, it's a small book, but it only has 25 verses, so there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. And in this chapter, God warns us, he challenges us, and he reassures us that he's faithful. This is what, this is what God says to us through the book of Jude. In the past several weeks, we've been in the series called Ask, or really several months, we've been in the series called Asking for a Friend. And we've kind of been trying to tackle some questions that we've received from our friends. And, and, and you know, each week we've kind of looked at these questions, and, and the question for today is this, if God is everywhere and his spirit lives in every believer, why do I need to pour my life into a local church? And that's a good question. But I think it's an important question, and, the, and, the, and when you read the Bible closely, you see that, that it's through the local church, that's where we live out the mission God has called us to. And the book of Jude um, speaks to this. Now, we know the Great Commission in Matthew 28. That's when Jesus had risen from the dead, and he said to his disciples, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to deserve all things, and, I've, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the earth. So we know the Great Commission. But Jude speaks to this. And so if you have your Bibles, let's look at verses 1 through 4 together, and let's stand together and read Jude 1 through 4. 
And as we prepare for this, here's what I want us to, kind of an overarching concept I want us to grab today, and it's this, that the mission of the local church teaches us to stand together. And that's something I want us to have in our minds as we look at Jude 1 through 4. It says this, verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for you, for, excuse me, kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now let's stay here in Jude in your Bible, but let's think about Jude. I mean, he's a, it's a fascinating book. And, and we know that Jesus had a couple of brothers. He had, he had a family. He had several brothers. And, and one of his brothers was James. James was the first leader of the church at Jerusalem. And uh, we know that that was Jesus' brother. His other brother is Jude. This is Jesus' brother. Can you imagine being Jesus' brother? Would that be a bummer or what? I mean, can you imagine? Why don't you just act more like Jesus? Can you imagine growing up with that? I mean, goodness gracious. But, but what's interesting about Jesus' brothers is we know from Mark chapter 3, verse 21, that they didn't like Jesus at first. They were embarrassed by Jesus. They didn't really believe Jesus at first. And I get it. You know, I have a big brother. His name's Mike. And if Mike was walking around Oklahoma saying, hey, I'm God, I'd be like, Mike, shut up, man. <laughs> You're embarrassing our family. Um, but his brothers didn't believe him at first. Mark 3 says this. But something changed in James, in Jude. I mean, what's interesting is you, you think about what changed. What was it? it I think it was this. They saw him die, and then he rose from the dead. Let me tell you something. That changed everything for them. Let's be honest. That changed every, changes everything for everybody. I mean, Jesus rose from the grave. Who else did that? Nobody. No, no religious system has, no person that people worship did that. So who else is there in the world? Who else is there in history but Jesus? Nobody, folks. This is the truth. It's why we believe that, that Jesus Christ is the, is the hope for the world. He's the only hope for the world, and, and you've got to know that. Jesus, Jesus is the only hope in your life. He's definitely the only hope in your death. And, and you know what's interesting? It's through the local church. That's the method that God has established to deliver this message of salvation. It's through the local church where this happens. And, and, and you know, I'll tell you, um, I, I want to be a faithful pastor to you. When you look at the book of Jude, you see there's false teachers that came in. And if I'm going to be a faithful pastor, we've got to be a church that recognizes false teaching when we see it. Because, folks, here's the truth. There's false teaching in the world. And, 
and you need to be able to recognize it. You need to be able to recognize if anybody gets up here and preaches something that's not in the Word of God, you need to be able to recognize it. And if I'm a faithful pastor, we will together help train one another to recognize false teaching when we hear it. Now, um, Joe, Joe said earlier, our church is busy. We've got a lot of stuff coming up, especially as Thanksgiving and Christmas hit. Man, we are going to be uh, electric chihuahuas around here, man. It's going to be busy. But, but we're not just busy with activity. And you know what's important for a church? That, that the goal of a church is not just to be busy with activity. Let's keep in mind, the goal of the church is to be busy with gospel activity. Now, there's a lot of people that are busy. There's a lot of churches that are busy. But, but, our, but we see right here something very important in the book of Jude. And, and what you see Jude pointing to is that the gospel is driving the mission of the church. And let me tell you, the gospel must drive the mission of our church. Absolutely must. Now look at verse 3. Um, look what he says. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, what's he saying here? He's like, hey, look, I'm not just going to talk about salvation. I want to push you, contend for the faith. Remember what the, what the apostle said to us, Jude's saying. Remember how he said, hey, Contend for the faith. You see that the gospel is driving them. He's like, look, um, there are people that have come in that are distorting the gospel. They're, they're getting us off the gospel message. No, contend for the faith, he says. You know, you know what it caused me to think about? I mean, this week, it was awesome. I went by the mission center this week. Man, it was packed out. They were running and, I mean, it was busy that day. Uh, I think it was Wednesday. And, um, but, but you know what? Our goal is not just to give out food, folks. If we just give out food, we're missing the point. You know what I saw at the mission center that I was so grateful for? Before we gave out food, there were, they were meeting one-on-one -on -one with people going, hey, we want to help you with your needs, but let us first tell you about Jesus, how he saved you. And every person that comes to the mission center, that's something we do. I think about the, what Casey's doing with the Christmas carol. Let me tell you, we're not just doing um, a play because we, we like to do plays. No, the pur purpose of that is to communicate the gospel to this city. You know, in everything we do, we got to make sure that the gospel drives us. And, and so if we're going to let that happen, let's, let me just stop for a second and tell you what the gospel is. You know what the gospel is, right? The gospel was this, the gospel confronts us. The gospel confronted me. The gospel, when, when I heard the gospel message, what, what was that message? It's that I'm a sinner and, and I need a savior. It's like, wait, I'm stuck. I'm in trouble by myself. And this is the, this is the message of the Bible. This is what God came to deliver. He came to say, look, you're not okay by yourself because for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, Paul wrote in Romans 3. But, but you know what? There's this news that, that, that but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that even though you were a sinner, even though you were rebellious, even though you wanted to go your own way, Jesus died for you. He died for you. 
And that means that when, when Christ went to the cross, he was thinking about you. He took your place. Because you know what you deserved? You and I deserved? We deserved separation from God. But Jesus came and he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He saved you from the wrath and sin, the wrath of God. He forgave you if you come to him. And so that's why it's so important to recognize that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, that God in all his majesty and and, and mystery and amazement He offers to humanity a gift called forgiveness and salvation. And anybody that comes to him will be saved. And, and, you know, this is the message that the world needs to hear. And and what's interesting about the gospel message, that's what the message that came to Jude. And Jude went from being frustrated at his brother that he was embarrassed by to, no, no, look, we've got to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints that, that we contend for the faith. We, we write, he starts his letter, I think it's fascinating, Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, it's fascinating to look at the transformation of Jude. And, and, and I'll tell you, we've got to understand as a church that lostness is the world's greatest problem. When I look around this city, lostness is the greatest problem of everybody that we see. And it's only Jesus that offers salvation. Salvation is the greatest need, and it's only found in Christ. And so the gospel drives the mission of the church, and this is what we see in this book. Now, what it's interesting, as Jude goes on, you see that he shines a spotlight on these ungodly leaders. Look at verse 11. He says to them, woe to them. He's talking about leaders that have come into the church that are, that are getting off the, 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 the faith. They're, they're, they're shifting their focus. And, and he says, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. There are leaders that have come into the church that have gone to the way of Cain. What, what, are they, what is he talking about? Remember the story of Cain and Abel? Remember that story? That, that's in Genesis 3 and 4. And, and, and Cain and, and Abel were brothers, and uh, they were uh, children of Adam and Eve. And, and here they were, Cain uh, offered a gift. He wanted to come to God on his own terms. He's like, God, I, I, I'm going to do what I want to do. Cain went to God with his offering, and, and it was rejected by God. Abel, on the other hand, knew and was told, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so Abel came on God's terms. Well, God accepted Abel's sacrifice. He rejected Cain's sacrifice. And, and, and we recognize, man, you know what happened? Cain, out of jealousy and anger, killed his brother Abel. It was the first murder in the Bible. And you know, we see in the Scriptures, we've got to watch out for leaders who come to God on their own terms. That's why we allow the Bible to speak We allow God's word to shape our thinking. We allow the Holy Spirit to, we submit to his voice. We submit to the voice of God, whether we like it or not. We submit to God. And that's why when I look at a a culture that is saying to us, hey, you guys update, come on, update your Bibles. We don't have that option. We submit to God. We don't come to God on our own terms. Um, 
Watch for leaders who take their focus off Christ and put it on themselves. And you see a lot of leaders that are, that are promoting themselves rather than promoting Christ. Let me tell you something. One of the core values of our church is that we worship Christ here. I don't, I don't want, when the story is written on First Baptist Owasso, that, I mean, that, I, I don't know that I want them to remember the ninth pastor of this church. You know what I pray they remember is Jesus. I don't want, to remember, I don't want them to remember your name or, or the name of our individual leader. I want them to remember Jesus. You see, this, we, we live in a day where you see leaders promoting themselves. And I'll tell you, Christ is the head of this church. This week, um, we had an, a really great day on Tuesday. Bart Barber was here. He's the president of our National Southern Baptist uh, Convention. And he, he spoke at the Tulsa annual meeting, Baptist Network. We hosted it right here. And, and boy, he preached an incredible message on that, on, the, on, on that Christ is Lord of the church. And he made a statement that I thought was incredible. He said, he said, you know, every problem that a church faces can be traced back to somebody else trying to be the, be the authority in the church and trying to take Jesus out of the authoritative role. Let me tell you something. It's not our church council that's the leaders of this church. Christ is the head of this church. And we must never forget that. Look at he says in Jude 1.11. He says, another warning. Woe to them, for they have run greedily into the error of Balaam for profit. He's like, hey, you need to watch out for leaders that are, that are manipulating ministry for money. Because there are some that do that. And look, we cannot manipulate for money. Balaam, you remember that story? He's the one that, that his donkey talked to him. Uh, that, that, that's, I mean, uh, his donkey was, Balaam was beating the donkey going, let's go, let's go. And the donkey was like, dude, stop beating me. I'm, I'm saving your life, you punk. You know, that's kind of a loose translation of that passage. But, but he's like, no. Do you remember Balaam? The king of Moab came to Balaam. And he said, hey, uh, Help me curse Israel. And Balaam sold out his call of God for money. And you know what he did is sad because he died standing with the enemies of God. And he loved money more than he loved God and his people. Man. Let's watch out for leaders that are manipulating for money. There's a third woe. Look at verse 11. Woe to them, for they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Remember that? Remember the rebellion of Korah? Numbers 16 tells that story. I want you to look at this verse, number 16. It says, now Korah, the son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of people, number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs, notice this, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men, 
They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves among the assembly of the Lord? You see Moses and Aaron just trying to lead. And these men were like, I ain't following you. I ain't following you. And you know what the tragic end? This is so very interesting that, that Jude warns against this. Because the tragic end of Korah and those 250, let's notice they were men of renown. They were great leaders. You know what God did? He killed them all. And I want you to know, the book of Jude moves us to point out ungodly leaders. But at the same time, it's unwise to rebel against those that are anointed by God. Let me tell you something. I've seen leaders that are flat out rebelling against God's anointed. And man, we've got to hear that. We've got to watch out for those leaders who are selfish and unwilling to follow the people anointed and called by God. That's what you see there. These stories expose several things. They expose leaders who divide They expose leaders who lack authentic spiritual fruit. You know what you need to look for in every leader? You need to look for authentic spiritual fruit. You need to be be cautious about leaders who divide. Because you know what? We can all fight, but there are some leaders that just divide. You need to watch out for those. You need to watch out for leaders that don't have genuine spiritual fruit in their lives. You need to watch out for leaders. In in the book of Jude, leaders who live immorally. Let me tell you something. There are leaders that are absolutely immoral in the way they live. And we've got to watch out for them. And you know what I'm grateful for as I have walked this journey of Southern Baptist life? And as difficult as it's been, there's been an exposure of leaders who have been living immorally. And I am grateful. And I want those men to, they have dishonored God. And we've got to make sure that we point them out. We also have to point out leaders who rebel against God and the people God has put in place. Look at verse 17. I think it's interesting because he says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. See, this is why we got to pay attention to the lives, the personal lives of leaders. You got to pay attention to to the the immorality in the lives of the people that are around you. You got to pay attention to the spiritual fruit. Because you'll know people by the fruit. And then look at verse 20, because I think this offers a really cool picture of what God is doing in the church. And how God is helping the church take a stand in in difficult days, because that's really what this message is. Judah's like, hey, these are tough days, and we're called to, to follow the Lord and to keep the gospel at the forefront of our lives. He says, but you, verse 20, look at verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. And, and I love this picture because, you know what, I, was, I just was in this passage this week thinking how grateful I am for Maggie that she is in a church that is, that is building her, her up in, in her most holy faith. That's what the local church does. That's our calling is to build up our faith. The most holy faith, the, the only true faith, because it's only in Christ that salvation is experienced and known. And so for us to be a church that, that we build one another up in our most holy faith, we pray in the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is moving us. That's why we come every day with an attitude of expectation that, God, you are speaking and you are leading and your Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and we pay attention. We move when you move us. And, and then look at what he says in verse, um, excuse me, verse 20, 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do we stay in the love of God? It's together. It's as a local church. We, st we keep one another. We push one another in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of, of the Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. And, and you know when I think about the church, we prepare one another for heaven. And that's what we're doing here. We're walking together. We're, we're waiting for the mercy of God. Aren't you grateful for the mercy of God? in your life. Oh my goodness, I'm grateful. And we're, I love this picture, waiting for the mercy of, of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then I'm mindful of verse 22. We have mercy on those who doubt. I love that. Isn't that, isn't that what the church is about? Sometimes we doubt the Lord. Sometimes we doubt one another. You're going to probably doubt me at times as, as a pastor. That's okay, because you probably won't doubt me as much as I doubt myself most of the time. But you know the truth is? We have mercy on those who doubt. I love that. And then I love verse 23. We save others by snatching them out of the fire. I'll tell you what, that winds my watch right there. For those of you that are younger, you used to have to wind watches. You don't have to do that anymore. But, um, but Google it later. But, but, oh, man, when I think about what I pray we are as a church, I pray we're a bunch of snatchers. We snatch people that are on their way to lostness. I'm so glad God snatched me. I'm so glad a, a man was bold enough to walk up to Les Wall, this big old auto mechanic that was pretty earthy. He walked up to him years ago and said, hey, Les, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And God saved my grandfather, which changed the entire trajectory of my family. Oh, my goodness, I'm so grateful. You know what? God snatched my grandfather, and then, you know what? Uh, here we are generations later, watching God continue to snatch us. That's why the gospel motivates me. To others show mercy with fear. Oh, when I think about the world we're in, we need to show mercy. But let's understand there's a judgment coming. What's that mercy with fear? There's a judgment coming, folks. And for us not to talk about it, for us not to point to the fact that, that if you die without Christ, you're in trouble. That that's your only hope is in Christ? Oh, my goodness, we should, you know, I hear some people say, oh, you preachers just make everybody afraid. Well, let me tell you something. If you're living without Jesus, I'll be honest with you, you ought to be afraid. 
Because you're not promised tomorrow. And I pray you see the mercy of God and the grace of God and the joy of God and the call of God. I pray you hear that. Oh, my goodness. And then, I love this, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You know, I, I, you, know what, you know what we're called to do? You know what this means? That we're called to live holy lives. We're called to live lives that, are, that honor the Lord. And this is where the church comes in, that we confront one another. I am thankful for the people in my life that have confronted me and said, Chris, this is sinful. You don't need to do this. I'm so grateful for Jay McSwain calling me one day. I was a minister, youth minister at, at Council Road Baptist Church. Things were going awesome in my ministry. And yet he came to my house and said, hey, Chris, your wife's hurting and you don't have a clue. And you're not going to have a marriage or a ministry in five years if you don't stop what you're doing. You know what? He was right. I reengaged as a husband and as a father. I'm thankful. See, it's the local church where we grow spiritually. It's the local church where we pray together. It's the local church where we hold each other accountable to stay in God's will. It's the local church that we help each other prepare for heaven. And you know, that's one of our callings, to help each other prepare for heaven, folks. You're going to walk through that door called death. When that happens, that, that is not something to fear. Though none of us want to check out tomorrow. That's okay. Let's run our race well. But let me tell you something. On the day that our final day comes, God is faithful. Let's not forget that. Let's prepare each other for heaven. We, we patiently walk with each other. And that's something we got to do is patiently be together. We, we share the gospel where we live. And this is a calling that we have. And folks, this is why I pray when I look at, at this, this passage and I feel the, the weight of it, I, 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 I don't know when, when Christ is going to return, but as I look at my Bible and as I look at the world we are in, let me tell you something. We're living in days that have to be close to the end. Man, there will be a day Christ will return. And I don't know if we'll get to see it, but I'll tell you, when I look at the world we're in, I can't get away from the fact that today's the day of salvation. And when I think about being a pastor of a church, we must be a church that is passionate and focused at sharing the gospel everywhere we go. And this can't just be me from the pulpit. This has got to be every one of us. Burden for people and sharing the gospel. When I read this passage, I see a church where the mission of the church focuses on Christ-centered worship. And I want the world to know Jesus. And that's something we've got to do. We've got to make sure that out of this local body the, that we are promoting Christ alone. And boy, I, I hear this Cain warning, and I think, Lord, may we come to you on your terms, not ours. Let's let the world know. Let's make sure the, those in our lives know Jesus. When I look at this passage, I see that the mission of the church moves us to give selflessly. Folks, we're called to steward the work of our hands. And that's why I, uh, we're not called to minister out of selfishness. But we're to, minister, we're, we're to give sacrificially in this place. And as followers of Christ, we're, we're, to, we're to learn to give of, of what God has given to us. And I want to ask you a question. 
Are you honoring the Lord with your giving? Are you really looking at the way you give to, the, to your church and can honestly say, this pleases the Lord? Can I tell you how we're giving in our church? I, I, you know what I'm praying is that every one of us, I'm, I'm so idealistic, I think every one of our church members need to learn to tithe. And, and if you really start studying it, you ought to, what the Bible says about your giving, you'll find that a tithe is kind of the start. But I'll tell you what you'll discover, you'll never outgive God ever. Let me tell you, God's going to provide for everything we have. God's going God's to provide. But can I tell you how we give here? We give to our church budget 20, in November 20th. We're having a meeting about our 2023 budget. Do you know what else, we're, what else we're doing? We're living debt-free as a church. And so that means we're stewarding every resource we have. And, it's, and let me tell you, we have a next steps giving that we're pushing our church to set money aside. And I'll tell you, we're gonna, you're going to start seeing construction tape around here. Our campus development team is working. We have a good system of looking at all these projects. And it's a combination of our staff and our, our teams, our ministry teams, our bylaws say all this. And I'll tell you, we're... Like, I'll just tell you what we did today in my family. We gave to our tithe today. Actually, it was Saturday. I did it online. And then we gave to Next Steps. It's time to start giving to Next Steps, folks. It's time to start, time to start praying about that. And I'm thankful we, we're starting to see that. Thank you. Because we've got to learn to steward and pay for things in advance. I had a lady stop me in, on Wednesday night. And she goes, Chris, I just got to tell you, this is the first time in my life I've been a part of a church that has chosen to live debt-free. Do you know we've been debt-free for over 11 years? Before I got here, folks. Before I got here, we were, you paid off, this church paid off all their debt. And then you know what we've done over the years? We've stewarded all God has given to us so far. It's time to do it some more. We're not done. And so... Folks, we've got to stay debt-free as a church. We've got to learn to steward and pay for things in advance because you know why I'm passionate about this? And I have pastors ch challenge me. Why are you debt-free focused? Because I believe if we are debt-free, we put ourselves in the position to do the most good where we live. And you know what I don't want to do? Is be a leader that puts us in a position not to do the most good with the gospel. Man, that's my prayer. You know, I, I think about what God is doing in our lives, I'm thankful. You know, when I look at this passage, not only do we need to start giving, and not only do I feel the, the call to, to give to my local church, you know what I see? As I process this warning of Korah, the mission of the church moves us to develop and submit to faithful leaders. Folks, you, got, you ought to know what a faithful leader looks like. And we, we ought to be able to recognize faithful leaders. And you know what else we ought to do? We need to be developing faithful leaders. You know what I'm pumped about tonight? You know what we're doing tonight? Tonight is 6.30. You ought to come. 
We're ordaining three men to be deacons in the life of our church. I am so fired up about this tonight. We, we've been, this process has kind of been on hold, and tonight we're finally ordaining these three men. And I'll tell you, when I look at our church, man, every leader is under authority in this church, and we've got to raise up leaders that are, that are faithful. We've got to build leaders that are faithful. Folks, I, I'll tell you, without apology, we have got to be a church that takes the gospel where we live. And I want to ask you a question. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be a church that is aggressively taking the greatest news to tackle the greatest problem of our day, which is lostness? Because I'll tell you, when we get serious about that, you know what happens? We start to grow. And you know what that causes? It causes us to, to make some room. You know, we've had a few groups that are like, man, I kind of like my little group. I don't really want more people in, my, in our group. That makes my head spin around. I'm like, what? Um, let me tell you something. We're, we got to be a church that says, no, we... We make room for people. I met a couple today here for the first time. We have room for them. My friend Noah, right here, I met him on a plane. Came for the first time today. He's in the fifth grade. He brought his grandma to church today. How cool is that? That... that Wound my watch again. Google it. But, but can I ask you a question? Are you willing to make adjustments for the sake of the gospel? You know what God's done at this moment? At this moment. God has called us to multiple services in multiple locations. Are you willing to be inconvenienced, to make room for people? Do you know for the first time in the history of our church, since my time I've been here, not too long ago I was over at um, the Baptist Villages, I mean, uh, Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children. They're building a cottage, a brand new cottage. And, uh, and I was over there, and the whole, the whole crew were Spanish speakers. You know what I got to do for the first time? I walked up and said, Hola, my name is Chris. Chris, soy un pastor de una iglesia aquí en Owasso. Yo quiero... Uh, invitarle a nuestra iglesia. Tenemos una, un lugar en Tulsa. Cada, cada semana tenemos servi cultos, servicios en español. Yo quiero invitarle. Ojalá que venir. How'd I do? 
No, speak Spanish. You know what I said? I invited, I gathered all those men together, invited them all to our church. How cool is that? Wine's my watch. Are you willing to embrace another culture right where we live for the sake of the gospel? God's led us. When I look at the book of Jude, you know what's interesting? Not only does it confront us and challenge us, challenge us, but this book has one of the most beautiful endings in all of Scripture. You got to hear it. You got to see it. You got to memorize it. I'm working on it. Look at the ending, verse 24. Now to him who is able to, no, wait, that's 1 Corinthians 3. Sorry. No, it's, that's a, I always do this. Dang it, messed it up. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. I slipped into Ephesians 3, not 1 Corinthians 3, Ephesians 3. Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Do you know that's what the grace of God does for you? I don't know about you, but so often I feel my faults. But you know what Jesus did when he saved you? He took away your faults. And Jude ends, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And look at how it ends. To our only God and Savior be glory and majesty, and power, and authority through Jesus Christ before all ages now and forevermore. Oh, my goodness. You know, I got to hear our governor on, uh, Brady, was that on Thursday? Thursday at Brady's shop. Our governor came. He said something so very fascinating. He said, um, you know, he goes, I was, uh, um, I've wondered what my great-grandparents would think about the bills I've had to sign this year. Bills like, uh, hey, I'm going to sign a bill that says if you are wanting to play girls' sports and live in a, and, and go to a girls' locker room, you actually need to be a girl. And he goes, I, I wondered what my, my great-grandparents would go. You had to, what? And there are times I look at what our world is doing and I kind of go, oh, uh, 
have we lost our minds? And then that same world looks back at me and goes, dude, where have you been? Let's update things. And when I get mad about that, that anger shifts a little bit. Not to uh, paralyzation. We need to act. But it shifts to a burden. Because all that reveals is the greatest problem in our world. There's lostness. And folks, we're supposed to do something about that. We're called to do something about that. And I'll tell you what, as long as I'm living, as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to do something about that. And I commit to you, as the pastor of your church, of this body, that I'll do everything I can to stay focused on the gospel and the word of God. And so it moves me to pay attention to false teachers and take a stand for what's right. It moves me to give sacrificially without apology to look at our church and go, let's go. Let's make a difference around here. It moves me to look at our church and go, we ain't staying still. But the work that we do must be gospel work. We can't forget that. We can't get off that. Now it's time for an invitation. Josh, I want you to come up. And man, uh, I love that song that Josh led us in, that taught us today. And you know what? Um, that song is a prayer to focus. And, and Josh, you've got to end with that tagline, that tag song of trusting in Jesus. I, I just was... Yeah, yeah, Jesus, what, I, I can't remember the name. Do what you did. Just do what you did. That was good. But as, as Josh sings this song, the invitation is for all of us. You know what I think about being the church? It's about walking together. And man, I'm praying hard for... Harrison and Mallory in this battle with cancer. I've talked to him this week. They had a treatment this week. And I love this song because it's just honest. It talks about, Lord, we, we bring needs to you. Do you realize that's what we can do? We can bring our burdens to the king of all kings, the master of this whole place. So here's what I want us to do. For all of us, some of us need to get on our knees and pray for Harrison. Some of us need to get on our knees and, you know, repent, pray for you haven't been giving. It's time to start. Let's go. Some of us need to pray for our, your pastors. We'll take it. I had a guy 
brand new member of our church, Brian Benson, texted me twice yesterday. You know what he said to me? He goes, I've been praying for you every hour since 2 a.m. Are you okay? That blessed my life. He's been a member of our church less than two months. So we need to pray for your pastors, that we stay on track, that we stay focused on the gospel. So we need to pray for our church. But as this song is, as we sing this song, let's not just let the words flow out of our mouth, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray for the Mosby's and the birds today. Let's go to the Lord. If you need Jesus today, oh my goodness, don't, don't you see him? Don't you know what it's like to be forgiven? So many don't know what it's like to be forgiven. I wish so bad I could take my heart and just put it in you and just, you can know the hope you have in not only in life, but in death. Oh, I want you to know Jesus. If you don't today, you can. Come to him. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, we, we want to sing this song to you. Uh, bringing needs to you, bringing names to you, bringing requests to you. Thank you that we can. Thank you that you hear us. God, move us now, we pray. Our Lord, lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.